Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Oh, hello. Didn't see you there. This is another edition of the Thinking Like a Lawyer <laughs> podcast. I don't know. I, I felt like shaking things up. I like it. I've done the, I like I've done the same intro every time for several years now. So I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, which you probably knew if you were listening to this. So I uh, am joined by one of my fellow editors at Above the Law, Catherine Rubino. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? You know, not bad. So we are here in the midst of a fairly busy week and a week that I think a lot of us assumed was a full five-day week just a month ago. But I've been informed that Donald Trump has invented Juneteenth. And so therefore... Listen, I'm not going to... I'm not in the business of ranking the ridiculous slash offensive things that Donald Trump says. That would be a full-time job. But it is pretty both ridiculous and offensive the notion that he invented Juneteenth, since, you know, it yeah. predates his birth by many, many years. <laughs> so, yes, uh, as of a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, even, uh, the concept of June 19th being a holiday was one that was foreign to a lot of folks. It was mm-hmm. even the subject of some popular culture efforts to make it a holiday, given its longstanding significance in the African-American community. And in the wake of what's been going on, uh, perhaps not really reparations or anything, but in the wake of what's going on, it has emerged and bubbled up as something that corporate America, by and large, is viewing as a long overdue holiday. So tomorrow... People didn't think this was going to be a holiday, but tomorrow, for a lot of people, it is, isn't it? It, it sure is. It's, it's pretty good news. Um, you know, you mentioned that pop culture has kind of been pushing this for a little bit. There was an episode, I think it was just last year, of Blackish about Juneteenth. And one of the things that they say there, because, um, you know, I, I've covered the effort of, of big law firms to, to take the day as a holiday. And it's not, listen, Taking getting Juneteenth as a holiday, recognizing it as a holiday is not the end of racial issues in this country. But as the as the show said, it, it, it said it feels like a good step. And it's in a lot of ways forcing white people to recognize not only that slavery happened, but that, you know, it was something that a war was over as opposed to just, you know, something that, that's that's the faraway past or some distant memory. So what's uh, going on in the big law world vis-a-vis this? Well, like like much of corporate America, a lot of folks are are getting the day off. We first at Above the Law first became aware of it last week when Skadden announced, sent in all an email to everybody at the firm that, you know, they would have the day off, that it would be, you know, that they should that should be a firm wide holiday and, and they should treat it as such, which was, you know, a pretty great th- thing. And since then, quite a few firms have joined on. I'm currently tracking 55 other big law or boutique law firms have told their firm that it is that it is a holiday. Um, I guess a couple have it as a half day. Um, one has it as an, an optional holiday. But that's significant considering it was absolutely not a holiday last year for, at any of these places. 
No. So we've been tracking kind of the, uh, over the past few shows, some of the response of law firms mm-hmm. to recent events. And it seems as though this is a new one. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, obviously, uh, the holiday will have passed. Mm-hmm. But, and I but it is that, that, you know, yeah. this is not a com- this is not a complete list by any by any stretch of the imagination. But this it's a it's a floor, you know, at least 55 firms have done this. And, you know, getting 55 firms to agree on anything other than following Cravath's bonus <laughs> schedule is really hard. Yeah. Uh, so it's a testament to what Skadden managed to get going here. And I, I mean, we, we, we can track that Skadden is the first actor. I have not heard otherwise. And, and I've been saying that for, for a while now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, it, and it is it is. Listen, big laws very much follow the leader in a lot of ways um, when it comes to, to compensation, when it comes to bonuses, when it comes to hours requirements in a lot of places. You know, if, if it's already been done by other folks, firms feel very comfortable saying that they, too, will do this. And this is a great this is a great instance of that where Skadden came and, and said, you know, this is a holiday and and a good amount of firms have agreed. Well, we'll see and be keeping our eyes on firms making this a permanent holiday as opposed to uh, thinking they can do this as a one-off. Sure. Uh, and and that, that, is, that is very fair and absolutely something we need to very much be mindful of. We're, we're not going to solve racial tension in this country before 2021. That seems unlikely. <laughs> fair enough. So uh, what else has been going on this week? I hear that the Supreme Court was active. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that and I, I struggle to to really know whether a pair of new cases that the Supreme Court handed down are actually good news or we are just so starved for good news in this country that <laughs> that even small, small things seem like a, a really big deal. Although, of course, the Supreme Court holding that civil rights legislation did extend the concept of sex that extend to sexual orientation was something that was very and LGBTQ folks. That was something that was obviously incredibly important. And now to, unfortunately, because this is the crux of that case, we need to be a little bit more precise. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 1964 Civil Rights Act does not protect sexual orientation. It protects discrimination on the basis of sex. It just happens to be that the Supreme Court fairly utilizing their logic, which is pretty sound in this case, realized that sexual orientation is kind of wrapped up in the basic concept of discrimination based on sex. So it's not like it expanded it. It just said that there's no way underneath that umbrella. Yes. Yeah. There's no way that you can discriminate on sexual orientation without Mm -hmm. implicitly discriminating based on sex. And to that extent, it is covered. And I mean, and it is it is something that is is a pretty big deal. There are quite a few states where people could absolutely be fired if their employer wanted to fire them because they were gay. And the fact that they cannot do that anymore is absolutely something that should be applauded and celebrated. But I know that you also wrote that, you know, liberals should be careful <laughs> before they celebrate a little bit too much because, you know, the, the opinion was written by Neil Gorsuch, which... Doesn't sound yeah. exciting <laughs> on the So surface. it was a 6-3 opinion with Roberts and Gorsuch both on top of it. Gorsuch wrote it. And it is, it is heavily 
heavily influenced by doctrines of textualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a love letter to the concept of textualism. He dumps a bunch of dictionary definitions in there and says, As Webster's Look, um, Dictionary defines. Yeah. No, he's that guy at a wedding. Yeah. Yeah, no. So he, he said that he limited his decision to, hey, this is just what I'm forced to do because this is what the text says. That is a little problematic, given that some of the arguments being made in the case reached towards broader issues, constitutional issues about Mm -hmm. equal protection and so on and so forth. None of that comes through. It becomes a straight statutory determination that the words have to be defined this way. But it is also, in the way it is written, a, a warning for anybody who is concerned about things like the Chevron Doctrine, uh, that these are this is still a very hostile court, and it's a court that's going to use lines from this opinion as marching orders for lower courts to do a lot more mischief, mm-hmm. I think. There's lines about how, you know, reading anything beyond what Congress explicitly put down is particularly dangerous. I can see that line being quoted in the next district court saying that, you know, some regulation against a toxic chemical in a river can't possibly be (laughs) covered by the Clean Water Act because, you know, the Congress didn't say it. Uh, These are the sorts of collateral attacks that are going to be born out of a decision like this. And so while everybody was celebrating the result, I was the Debbie Downer who pointed out to everybody that, you know, a lot of what's being said here is going to be etched. A lot of the way it's said is going to be etched in your nightmares going forward. Right. As <laughs> multiple progressive legislation is going to be run afoul on the ground, run aground on the rocks of what Gorsuch writes here. You were a bit of a Debbie Downer, I think, on that decision. But I also think oh, that. Thanks. No, that, that's great. Oh, I, you did say on that decision, I guess, now that. But I, I was going to say, like, I when you said that, I felt like, oh, you were. You were saying that I'm just generally a dumb I'm not, person. I'm I, think not I'm, attacking, I think I'm a super fun person. I'm not attacking you as a human, nor do I think that Debbie Downers are necessarily a bad thing. I think that, you know, listen, nice I watched save. that movie Inside Out and Sadness was the real hero there, right? Like, Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not making that kind of a claim, but, but I also think it was really necessary. And I think that the left in particular is very desperate for good news. And this felt, this is good in a lot of ways, but making sure that we're still ever vigilant and wary of what it means. And we don't, there aren't a series of, you know, articles and, and social media posts lionizing, oh, the great in-between jurists, the, you know, the, the great moderate Gorsuch is, is something that we, you know, we should be aware of. But it wasn't the only time you were a Debbie Downer this week, or that—that's true. Uh, I so, so maybe that it up is with... you. Maybe it's not just the decisions. Wow. Maybe, maybe we've wow, identified man. something. Would you? Would you like to? Would you like to talk about that? How do you feel when I call you a Debbie Downer? I mean, I feel attacked. Is what I feel. Do you? Um, do you really? Yeah. Like that's very interesting. No, not really. <laughs> not really. Not really. This is the sort of blame I get for everything I say all the time. You know, well. this, life I'm is just, hard I'm as just, a straight white yeah, male. I mean, it's so difficult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, though, I, I've heard this is a, a aside. I've heard far too much of my fill of people explaining how hard their lives are as straight white people. Yeah. So I am um, moving on from that. This week, also, there was another decision that Roberts handed down about the about the DACA program, mm-hmm. and there was obviously the administration attempted to 
end that program, which was a executive order run program that was just a deferral of deportation for children who came to the country in an undocumented way. Mm -hmm. So, and just basically saying, we're not going, we're going to, we know you, we technically can deport you, but we are going to all agree not to. Mm-hmm. And that's what that executive order said. And the Trump administration tried to get rid of it. There were multiple lawsuits all over the place. That was resolved today. That gives you a sense of when we're recording. That was resolved this <laughs> week. And the court determined that the decision to get rid of DACA was arbitrary and capricious, those magical words for anybody who took administrative law. <laughs> ding, uh, ding, and, ding. <laughs> and to the extent that it was arbitrary and capricious to get rid of it without in any way in their explanation of why they got rid of it, considering reliance concerns and forbearance, uh, therefore the suits against the government can move forward. Any attempts, you know, kind of to post hoc determine why they did it in ways that are more you know, that are better. Um, it, it's the old Seinfeld uh, that where he says uh, he wants to return the jacket for spite. And they say, oh, well, that's not a reason. He says, oh, then it doesn't fit. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, you already said spite. Uh, <laughs> that is exactly the determination that Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts makes when he's arguing with Kavanaugh about it, saying that like, look, this our rule is pretty clear. It's what did they, what was their reasoning at the time? And their reasoning at the time was arbitrary and capricious. So. Yeah, I mean, I know when the tweets started happening this morning, uh, when the day the decision was released, my initial concern was that Sonia Sotomayor only uh, agreed with part of the decision. And and I do think, you know, ultimately, her are the distinctions that she was creating actually are pretty meaningful. Yeah, as a technical matter, the decision was bifurcated, and it was a 5-4 on one issue, the issue that I just outlined, that uh, Mm -hmm. arbitrary and capricious issue. And it was an 8-1 decision with Sonia Sotomayor as the only dissenting judge justice on the question of whether or not the plaintiffs had an equal protection claim that they could pursue. Obviously, these are at a preliminary, these were dismissed at a preliminary stage, meaning that the you know, the line for what constitutes a viable claim was pretty low. And right, right. she said that given how low it was, they seem to have pleaded that there were statements that suggest that this was done as a product of racial animus and that that should be something that the parties could should be allowed to explore in discovery and further litigate. That uh, the, seems pretty reasonable to me. <laughs> well, the argument of the other eight, justices was that, sure, there may be, you may be able to compile, as these plaintiffs did, comments that Donald Trump had made that were suggested that he was against immigration from Mexico and South America generally as a matter of policy that was seemed to be racist. And you could also point to specific things he'd said about DACA that Mm -hmm. seemed racist. Obviously, he doesn't have these problems with all immigrants, just the immigrants from there. Uh, That all seemed like a problem. But the majority opinion says, but uh, this decision was really technically made by the Attorney General and the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security. And you can't really say that things that Trump said were things that they were responding to as if they don't work for him. And Sotomayor said that's probably not true. 
that there's no real logical reason why we should blinker ourselves from the context surrounding these policies and mm-hmm. say, yeah, ignore all that. And yeah. Don't ignore the, the man behind the curtain. Kind of getting that's actually, in the weeds. They, have you not read? I don't think no. you've read my piece yet. I uh, yeah, well, that that's the framing device for the whole oh. piece. Oh, so thanks. oh, look at that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Good job. <laughs> look at that. I, I mean, I guess it's bad that I haven't read your piece yet, but I've been busy. I've been working. <laughs> uh, and so, but this this might be a little in the weeds for for folks who are only casual court watchers. But it strikes me what what can we take away? What's the what's the what can we draw from the fact that Sotomayor stands alone on this issue? Oftentimes, people consider you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg as sort of this like liberal lion, um, you know, and there are very reliable liberal votes from from the other uh, other justices as well. Why why do you think there is this clear delineation on this vote? That's a great question. I I feel like. Sotomayor is the only one who seems to really have a grasp of these kind of broader issues. I feel Mm -hmm. like the other justices are a little more concerned about cabining issues. Mm -hmm. They like the idea of making hyper-technical decisions and not taking a look at the broad circumstances around things and recognizing that a lot of a lot of direct lines get obscured in broader movements. And she, they, they were content to say, well, if he said that we need to build the wall to keep people from shithole countries out, you know, that was two years before he did this DACA thing. So I'm right. sure those aren't related. And she said, well, it's possible that maybe we should take the whole context yeah, into play. You, you know, guys, you, you see and, what's going on over here. And I, I feel like that really does speak to a more a more forward looking and like this is you know I would say newer but it, you know these were doctrines that were being discussed and theories that were being fleshed out in the '90s but I mean mm-hmm. it it speaks to kind of a critical legal approach to things right. to not allow yourself to get tripped up by the technicalities of texts and stuff like that and to recognize that law exists within a you know, society and all of the attenuating circumstances surrounding decisions are valid and important to understanding what's going on in the law. And she seems willing to do that. And uh, the other justices aren't. Um, Obviously, Breyer is well known for being a a ticky tack sort of a person. Uh, He Mm -hmm. was instrumental in the creation of sentencing guidelines, right? Like that's the kind of worldview he lives in. Yeah, Kagan is a professor and thinks that way. I think mm-hmm. that I don't quite know what Ginsburg's issue is on these issues, but yeah, Sotomayor kind of stands on her own on this. Yeah. Again, my initial reaction was like, uh-oh, why is Sotomayor by herself on part of the majority right. decision? You know, and, and I, I and I think that you're right that, you know, she's really the justice that is kind of looking at the whole picture, the bigger picture, um, the most consistently at least. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's another thing to be a little down about. Uh, The Mm -hmm. court, this was technically the last day for the court to release opinions. Uh, Obviously, this was not the end of the opinions that they have. So there will be more to come. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we're we're going into overtime. I mean, this this was bound to happen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is overtime for the Supreme Court. Uh, It's one of those things, which which isn't OT because that's October term. So I guess we got to have a different form. Yeah. 
Well, injury. Okay. This is injury time okay, for the nerd. Supreme Court. <laughs> this is injury time, uh, and it's and, you know that makes sense because we had a lost month in there when sure. we had to shut everything down. So, so what? What other stuff? Um, I know that then another kind of angle you've been working this past week involves naming various law firms. This past week, oh, we, yeah. we learned you want we to learned talk about that, that? yeah. Um, yeah, we learned. Listen, we learned that Antrimina Syrup is no longer going to be Antrimina Syrup. Uncle Ben's, you know, is getting a revamp in light of these kind of massive global brands taking a closer look at their at their the, the reasons why they were named that and the heritage and and sort of the history of these these symbols. You know, I think the same lens can very much be turned on big law. Yeah, a lot of people don't really think about the people behind big law names a lot, sure. um, unless they're super famous. I am, you know, before Dewey Ballantyne went under, I think everybody was aware that that was the Dewey who lost, you know, who defeated yeah. Truman, quote unquote. And I think people know that Wendell Wilkie of Wilkie Farr was a nominee against FDR. But like, with with the exception of those really, really high named, high profile people mm-hmm. uh, in law firm names, uh, they tend to become names yeah. uh, and you forget about them. But they are on the door because you're memorializing certain people and it's worth remembering that. And to that end, Davis Polk, which is a pretty well-known big law firm. I mean, uh, this top is 20 law firm, right? Am law rankings. <laughs> as elite as law, global law firm brands are. Davis was a well-known segregationist lawyer who used his legal practice to uh, he was responsible for securing the constitutionality of the grandfather clause, a term that we use fairly loosely these days, but was actually designed to allow states to use literacy tests to prevent black people from voting. But they didn't want to prevent the white people who just were hillbillies from being able to vote. And so they created this grandfather clause that basically said, you know, if your grandfather was able to vote, then you get to, which, as it turned out, meant that people who were alive, you know, before black people were given the right to vote. So therefore, it only would ever apply to white people. So it allowed white people to avoid literacy tests. That's what grandfathering means. And that was that was a case that Davis argued. And it's not just that he was an advocate who took a case and, you know, he can't be held. We shouldn't hold lawyers all the time to the positions they take in courts. That's a lot of times. But yeah, okay. (laughs) I see your argument. But I mean, that no, I mean, I do think that people are should be able to have zealous representation from people who don't necessarily have to believe them. Sure. But there's something different when you're a prominent attorney. He served as solicitor general for a while, too. He was also a presidential candidate. You know, he had the, the business ability to choose his clients. And mm-hmm. what he was was the go to client of segregationists. He also was the lawyer on one of the companion cases to Brown v. Board, arguing that South he was the South Carolina case, arguing that South Carolina should be able to segregate schools. Um, That's a case that he, there's some historical dispute about it, but that he may have taken pro bono because, you know, that's public service somehow in his (laughs) mind. But that's the Davis of Davis Polk. And, you know, these are global brands and they should, you know, if Aunt Jemima can do it, uh, I feel as though For goodness they sakes, can, we can certainly, certainly change his offer. 
I mean, yes, uh, Holland and Knight is another firm. Uh, Spassard Holland was a U.S. senator who was one of the leaders of the filibuster against the 1964 Civil Rights Act. That's yeah. uh, the history that, that you're dealing with with these yeah. firms. And so, and listen, yeah. these are these are firms who you know a lot. Most firms have come out now with with very powerful statements supporting racial justice. Perhaps it's it's time to do more than than talk and and just blindly give money. No, it's true, true. You know, on the subject of blindly giving money, yes. If you know, it's it's a thing that people sometimes do, and they they you know shouldn't because it can get costly. And if yeah. you're trying to cut costs, then you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit Logical.com slash LTN. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash LTN. You really got me there. I thought I thought you had, I, yeah. I thought I thought this was a new subject of conversation that we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, I, I will give people uh, insight into the recording process. My computer crashed in the middle, and so ah. I got off and forgot the uh, ad read for quite some time, which is why I had to uh, kind of force it in in an awkward way. There, you got it yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, well, anyway, yeah. So, law firms consider your names and how you feel about them and what they portray. Yeah, so it's, uh, it. it's pretty important. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, anyway, so that was our week of discussing what's been going on. Pretty busy week, I think. Yeah. Especially this considering was, it's only a four-day week. This was a busy week. We will obviously be back to talk to you about the week's news next week as well. Until then, you should be subscribed to this show. Uh, you can get it on all the various podcasting subscription places out there. Uh, you should be giving it reviews and stars. It helps more people find it when uh, the services say, oh, this is a legal podcast. We know because people are giving it uh, some reviews. So do that. You should be reading Above the Law. As always, follow us. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, both on Twitter. You should be listening to the other shows we have. We have a the COVID cast where we, ATL COVID cast, where we talk about COVID related legal issues and how that's changing the landscape. We are talking, we're going to talk to Jack Newton next week about it. We have uh, the Jabot, Catherine's show about diversity in law firms that you should be checking and and, and law school too. I guess it's not just law firms in the legal true, world. True. The legal uh, you should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. I'll give a particular plug to Digital Edge's 150th episode spectacular coming up, which I'm on. So uh, check that out. And uh, yeah, with all that. Have a good week, y'all. Said, yeah. Talk to everyone later. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.